Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Organ in the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data insights and change. According to an article published in the Huffington Post, children who have good relationships with their fathers and feel loved by them tend to have less behavioral problems and appear to engage in alcohol and substance abuse far less. Conversely, when fathers are less engaged, children are more likely to drop out of school earlier and exhibit behavioral and substance abuse issues later in life. We've noticed that presently there's a gap in the literature regarding the importance of the relationship between fathers and their sons. So on today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Antonio Harrison, who is the founder of Renaissance Behavior LLC, which is an organization that builds, fosters, and nourishes a healthy relationship between fathers and sons. Present today to discuss this topic from New York City, we have myself, Carl Letamendi. And Jasmine Letamendi. And recording from California, we have... Hey there, Casey Shop. And Dr. Harrison, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on, and um, I'm looking forward to a good conversation. Casey, take it away. Okay, y'all. Today, we're going to talk about daddy issues. <laughs> um, speaking of daddies, it's uh, I, I'm thinking about my, my relationship with my father, and I feel like I didn't really have that good relationship with him growing up until as an adult. So um, I had this uh, fortunate chance of meeting um, Dr. Harrison, and it's just it's so cool the type of work that you do and um you work on fostering that relationship between the father and son from a behavioral therapist perspective and um we just want to take this conversation and see where it goes and kind of learn a bit more about um why the relationship has fought has faltered in the past what is happening now and is there a way we can change it yeah, you know, uh, my whole goal is to focus on building that relationship with parents in general with their children. But because uh, I'm a son, I coach high school football with 50 to 60 teenage boys, and I have three sons of my own. That's kind of the niche that I follow just because that's what I'm competent in. I, a lot of the information or suggestions I give are useful for moms or useful for anybody who has a daughter. But, you know, I want to stay in my lane. I don't want to talk about something that I don't necessarily have experience with. I don't raise daughters. I never coached females except for uh, coaching track for one year. So um, even though the information is useful for parents in general, I do gear specifically more towards fathers and sons to really build that relationship. I think it's extremely important. Mm -hmm. So Antonio, how did you come, how did you uh, get to the point where you decided that you wanted to found an organization? Like what what led to that and how was your process for starting the organization? Uh, I think if I mean, if I if I can, I'll take it back a little further because it started before I even had an idea that of what I wanted to do. Um, I remember in second grade, Miss Russell asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up like all teachers do? Right. And I said a pro basketball player and a good dad. Um, and that's because I had a really strong relationship with my father. But at the age of 10, uh, I found out that my dad had become addicted to crack cocaine. Um, the Los Angeles crack epidemic in the late 80s really hit our family hard. And that sent my dad through incarceration, addiction. Uh, but through all of that, we came out with a really strong relationship because he never lied to me, he owned all his flaws, he held himself accountable, and he just told me what it really was. And so, I, you know, as school went on and I ended up going to Grinnell College to get a bachelor's in psychology and play football. 
Uh, I really I had a really bad knee injury and it forced me to come home. And so I was teaching elementary school. I was working three nights graveyard shift at 24 hour fitness. Plus, I was bouncing at a club on the weekends and I was just burning the, you know, both end of the candles. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to grad school. And I went and got my master's and Ph.D. and taught graduate school for about a decade. But I, I, I was like, you know, I really love helping parents. I love working with young boys. I've got three boys of my own. It just kind of named itself and fell in line. And so I decided to resign from graduate school and follow this vision of helping fathers and sons. Why do you feel that um, just looking at the whole country overall, there's so many fathers that are absent in their son's lives? I think a huge part of it, I, I mean, it depends. There's a lot of cultural factors, right? Um, there's mm -hmm. a lot of different variables, but a huge part of it too is I look back at so many of my I think we just lost. Still there? Yep, it's okay. Um, maybe uh, we just lost you for like a couple seconds. But Jasmine, do you want to ask a question again? Mm -hmm. So looking at our, you know, the whole system of the United States overall, why do you think that so many fathers are absent in their in their sons' lives? You know, it makes me think back to. Growing up and my friends, a lot of them didn't have their fathers in life because of incarceration, because of addiction. Um, they weren't. It was a different time. They were taught different. Different things. And, well, if you didn't have a proper example growing up, you know, that, that doesn't tell you what to do as a dad. So you end up not knowing what to do. And a lot of times when you don't know, it's you're scared. So you just run away. I think that's a huge part of it. There was just a culture built on. We don't know what to be as fathers. And the world's changing. And this old idea of masculinity and this old notion of what it is to be a father is, is gone. So a lot of people got scared of that. And I think they didn't participate in their children's life as much as they should have because they just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So it was like fear and then socioeconomic issues and then systemic violence. Very much so. I think they're all variables and factors. Um, there's no one thing I think you can pinpoint or boil it down to. I think it's just a host of things that happened in the last couple of decades and generations changing. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you, you brought up the, the thing about kind of like the shifting perspectives about masculinity altogether. Because uh, Jasmine and I went to Denmark a couple of years ago and we, we noticed some like there was a phenomenon that we experienced that we we weren't used to, I guess, because we're from that from latinos and it's not very common to see it but almost every <laughs> stroller was pushed by a man yeah and, <laughs> interesting and they they're they, they were not with the women so what we were told by the one of our, our tour guides is that in the parliamentary system of of denmark it's now occupied by mostly women so it's like a a big shift in the perception of of what's a man's role what's a woman's role and now there's more women entering the well there's been a lot of women entering into the workforce that have been working and they have good jobs and they're lawyers and they're physicians and whatnot um and now there's a lot more stay-at-home dads in denmark and it's not considered something to be ashamed of 
it's just the way that it is now uh, over over there in in Denmark. Interesting. Um, how much do you guys think a biological like uh, oh, I think we just lost them. That's okay. Uh, let me add him back. Does he have a headset? I think he. Sh- we should. I'll ask him that because when he's talking, that sound is, is buzzing, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure you can cut that off as well. Yeah, I can cut it. It's ambient sound. It's not a problem. Oh, okay. We can cut that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back. Oh, you're back. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what. Okay, we lost you. <laughs> yeah. Is there any way you can use a um he- headset connecting because it'll help us with the audio a lot better. And um, uh, I those things in here. I I don't have any of those. <laughs> don't like them, so I never got them. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's fine. We can we can roll with it. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So we were. Did you catch uh, what we were saying? We were talking about kind of like that phenomenon happening in Denmark, where there were more men assuming roles that in the Hispanic culture would we would consider to be a women's job. Right. And I think you see that happening here in the United States as well. There are a lot more men staying home. Uh, I myself, I work from home and do everything with my own business. And I watch my youngest one who's only in school three hours a day from 8 to 1130. Uh, The kids come with me to football practice. I do all the dropping off and picking up. Um, So it's it's there's definitely a change for sure. Mm hmm. Yeah. You, yeah. Um, I had a question about what you were talking earlier. Um, what uh, your experience growing up and just the way you, um, you know, try to overcome your obstacles, it made me think a lot about resilience. And I wonder if, you know, maybe the relationship between father and son is strong when either the father or the son is resilient in their identity. Or is it the case that you were just lucky and you had a very open you know, father who's really honest about his addictions and um, maybe had a, a strong relationship with your, your mother as well? Can you tell me a bit more about that? You know, well, I think identity is something that is in flux, right? It, it It's in waves. Um, that's part of kind of the whole point of the journey of life is to continue to find more out more about your more continue to find out more about yourself, you know, asking mm-hmm. that fundamental question, who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad had a real strong grasp on who he was and what he wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. But because he was honest and because of the things I went through, the sad part about it is I had to grow up really fast. I had to lose imagination. The reality was, you know, everything was factual. Like, mm-hmm. This is going on. This is happening. I got to do this to help my family out. Uh, there was no more going out back and playing in the dirt. Um, it was, I got to get my basketball skills up so I can go to a good school. I've got to get my football skills up so I can go to a good school. Uh, but in that resilience, it's allowed me to face whatever obstacle comes my way. Like nothing's, when you've, when you've had Christmas gifts pond the day after Christmas, or you've been in a car where your dad is copping dope and using in a public restroom for two hours, leaving you there, or he's using in the house and he's paranoid with a butcher knife at the, you know, living room window. Nothing competes with that. Like anything can happen to me. And I, that, 
that happened when I was a kid. So there's nothing in the world today that I can say, oh, I can't handle it. Yeah. So Casey touched on a little bit about the resilience element of it, too. And um, I started to think, like, for example, for a child who's in a situation where you know, their their fathers are undergoing like substance abuse issues or their justice involved, for example, like how how relevant, how important is it to the father to also have a supportive son? It's extremely important. You know, my dad, the last stint he did in prison was just two years ago. He's on parole. Um, And I told him, while you're there, I'm not bringing my kids to come see you because I don't want them walking into a jail or a prison at a young age like I did to see you through, you know, glass. Mm-hmm. But I will write you. I will respond to your letters. I will pick up all the collect phone calls. We'll have a conversation. Because anyone who's locked inside of a, a cage, essentially, they got to have some hope. And if mm-hmm. there's no one there to support them, to give them hope that when they come out, there's something to look forward to, then what is there to do? Right. Spin your wheels, you know what I mean? So uh, having a supportive network, whether it be a son, a wife, a a friend, whatever it may be, it's extremely important to, to help people get through those times because they're alone. They're truly alone. Mm-hmm. So, um, sorry, the way I think I jump all over the place, but another no question. Um, <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> right, Casey? Always. What does it mean to be masculine in today's age as a heterosexual male? So I think this is really interesting, um, and sorry if I go long on this one, just because I've given it a lot of thought over the last year. Mm-hmm. You know, in today's super hypersensitive, politically correct world, uh, one of the great things that it's done is it's exposed a lot of ugly people who needed to be exposed, who are doing some horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of those people are men, right? Like, let's just keep it real. Um, but what that has done is made masculinity synonymous with things like machismo, bro code, uh, sexism, racism, misogyny. And that's not what masculinity is. And I took a lot of time really thinking about that idea of masculinity and what it means and the stereotypes of, of, you know, no feelings and things. And I was talking to a friend of mine, Sarah Riley, and we were debating an analogy of masculine being the structure of a home, where mm-hmm. it's feminine being the laughter and the love that fills the home. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I was putting it, but she was flipping it the other way and saying feminine was the structure and the masculine was the love and the, the laughter inside the home. But as I gave it more thought, it doesn't matter how what side of the analogy you're on, whatever perspective it is. The point being is everything in this world inherently is linked to its opposite. There's tall, short, dark, light. You know, um, it, it doesn't matter. So in order to be a complete person, something complete, you have to have both sides of those. So if you try to squash your feminine side as a man, you're out of balance. If you try to squash the masculine side, you're out of balance. So I can be strong, but I can also be very emotional with my children. Whether you think one is feminine or masculine, doesn't matter. The point being is they're all inherently linked. So if you try to kill one of them or push one to the side to hold some notion of whatever it is on the other side, you're out of balance and you're not properly living. Um, so I come my, for me, masculinity is about being strong and secure, 
but also being strong and secure in the fact that I can tell my kids I love them. If I have a moment of weakness, I can show that. Um, I'm secure in that fact. Uh, I don't need to hide it or pretend that I'm something that I'm not. I feel like um, what you're talking about is less about masculinity and femininity and is more about living authentically and being vulnerable. And I mean, that's something that this researcher by the name of Brene Brown talks a lot about. Because even women have that, and mothers, they have that challenge of being vulnerable and authentic as well. Um, I, I, the more I thought, because this issue of messing with femininity, for me, it's really hard to deconstruct. Because we're identifying behaviors as inherently male or female, strong or weak, when in reality, there's just behaviors like emotions. Very um, true. Yeah. Uh, very true. The, the fact is, every label we give is just a collection of behaviors underneath it to describe, to put it all under one umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, it doesn't matter whether you call it masculine or feminine or vulnerable or authentic. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, it's what are you actually doing? That's one of the big differences in, in me being a behavior scientist is what you're thinking like, I'm not going to try to assume that or infer that. I want to see that you actually are kind to people, that you shake my hand, look me in the eye, you say please and thank you. You know, those are the things that I'm worried about. I'm not worried about what you're thinking about me. Did you treat me right in that moment? Um, and in terms of, again, masculine, feminine, authentic, vulnerable, I'm not really sure what authentic is. I mean, hmm. all of us are different in different situations, right? We're all different here on this podcast. If we were to go to a job interview or a formal wedding, Right. But it's still us. Right. So uh, I struggle with that concept or that label sometimes because. What is authentic? Um, am I supposed to always be in a tank top smoking a cigarette no matter where I go? Or am I supposed to always be dressed in a suit with a tie no matter where I go and project that? But they're both sides of me. What's appropriate in that environment in that moment? Right. Mm -hmm. As long as I stay true to me and, and my beliefs, then I'm cool. Yeah. I mean, I always think coming at it from an anthropological perspective that humans have thrived because of our ability to adapt. And we still do that in social settings as well. So I think I'm, I'm with you on that, too, that, you know, I'm not going to wear this to work. You know what I mean? Even though <laughs> or, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to, you know, wear shorts when I go for a run and I'm going to wear a suit whenever I can, uh, whenever I'm going to be in a formal setting. So we're just adaptive creatures. And we also do that, too, when we're talking to different people and we call that code switch. I just call it adapting. And, and what I, one of the things I like to make a, a discrimination between is that sometimes people say you wear different masks and some, sometimes people say you wear different hats. I don't want to wear a mask. I'd rather just wear a different hat. You know what I mean? Um, a mask to me is covering up who you are, whereas a hat is. That's just a different style, a different flavor at the moment. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a different Cause, dressing for the salad. Because sometimes, because sometimes, <laughs> do, doing the the doing it the authentic way, like I'm me and I'm gonna and I'm not gonna adapt, can get you in trouble sometimes. And I I also feel like it's a mix because like now people being pushed to be more authentic, but authentic people, especially on social media, too much of it could cause you trouble. So. Or when you're not authentic enough, you feel fake. It just doesn't feel like you. Well, and let's keep it real. Uh, authentic in social media, is that somewhat of an oxymoron? Like you have the chance to filter and screen what you're putting up there. 
right? Mm. In the moment when you make a, a comment to me, you see my facial reaction. You see how I respond. Social yeah. media, I get time to sit back and say, how am I going to post this? How am I going to respond to this text? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I put it in caps? Do I put an emoji? I'm not really sure yet, right? Do I filter it? Yeah. So is it really authentic on social media? I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yep, and especially for folks who turn at the same angle and always <laughs> snap pictures of the same side of their face. Hey, you know what? Some of us just have a one-sided face that's beautiful. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> okay, two more questions for me. Sorry, because I tend to hug, so I'm limiting myself. Um, my first question is, how do you communicate connect with a son who's gay? Um, in that's today's age. That's a good question. Um you know, I actually just had this conversation with one of my grad school classes. Uh, to answer the question in general and then specific, in general, I think it's about asking questions, right? If you are gay you're and, and I'm heterosexual, then you're different. So I want to know more about what's different so that I don't feel ignorant or fear in any kind of way. I want to I talk to you. Tell me, explain. I, I'm not going to, you know, bash it or critique it or... Or anything like that. I just want to know so that way we can be on the same wavelength of how I'm supposed to approach things. Um, what's offensive to you? What hurts your feelings? What doesn't? Um, on the specific, that's more of a family cultural thing, right? Like my family, we've got all kinds of things going on in our family, neither good nor bad, just different. And when my family, we accept anyone in and we love you unconditionally, but you better have a thick skin. Because whether you're gay, whether you uh, are auto mechanic, whether you um, wear a suit and tie, like we're going to make fun of you just for being you because you're part of our family and we love you. Right. I get picked on all the time for the for whatever it is in the moment. Um, Same with my sister. Like we just take jabs at each other, playing the dozen. That's part of the culture we grew up in. So personally, you got to have a thick skin to be in our family. Right. Which is part of maybe the part of the resilience you were talking about earlier. But on the general level. I've got three boys. If any of them came to me and said, you know, I'm homosexual, I'd say, okay, I love you. Give me a hug. I appreciate you, you know, having the courage to share that with me. Let's have a conversation because I don't know what that life's about. And I'm curious and I love you and I want to make sure to be there to support you. Simple as that. I think that's an amazing answer Um, only because I'm gay and fabulous and I know my experience (laughs) growing up. (laughs) I, 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 um, um, I would challenge that by saying, you know, as a gay teen, it was horrible, like uh, men, uh, all dealing with hormones and identity and like just that uncomfortableness. So how how would you as a father, you know, connect with a son who, you know, is still exploring their sexuality and who's confused? Like the, the open communication, I mean – if if, if 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 you were my father and I came out to you as gay when I was a kid, I'm not sure if I can even have that ability to converse, like how I'm feeling and my uncomfortableness. Well, um, I, think, I think there's a few things about that. One is you did part your part as my son. You told me what you wanted to tell me. The rest is on me as parent. It's my job to make sure that I come to you. Mm, you know, you did what okay. you to do to come to me. Now it's yeah. time talk to other people in that situation or um, find out whatever information I can to try to help that child at the moment in terms of just 
them feeling comfortable in their own skin. And the cool thing is times have changed to where children are being exposed to different uh, individuals and lifestyles all the time. I've got um, my oldest son, uh, my oldest son and my middle son both have classmates who have either a two mom household or a two dad household. So they've already been exposed to family pictures in the classroom of two men hugging and kissing or two women at a wedding. You know, so that conversation comes a lot younger in terms of this is okay. This, these are just people. There's nothing wrong with it. So, I mean, but it's, again, it's on me. You've done the hard part by sharing what you thought was wrong or Mm -hmm. thought was uncomfortable. Now it's my dad to make sure that you're comfortable all the time as much as you can be about who you are. Wow. Wish you were my dad. Where can um, fathers, if they find themselves in this situation, like where can they find resources or ways to help support their their sons? I think the first thing you need to do is just look around. Mm -hmm. Go ask somebody, hey, can you help me with this? Like that that goes back to this idea of, of masculine and feminine too, right? Like masculine, we're not supposed to ask for help. Right. Nah, if I don't know something, I'm going to turn to the person who I know happens to be a homosexual and say, I have no idea. I'm trying my best. I, I just want to know from your perspective, like, am I doing the right thing? How can I approach this differently? Right. Like mm-hmm. ask the question. Don't try to do it on your own. So many of us are stuck in this idea that everything happens like we got to push, push, push and do it on our own and self-made. Like, nah, man. Nothing happens without help, no matter what you think it is. So go seek out help, and the answers will be there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now just kind of reflecting on, because, um, you know, for a situation like that, we, one would anticipate that it would happen kind of like in the teenage years, right? Like how you were saying, Casey, but like how, and, and, and I'm certain that the level of comfort for the teenager could vary depending on how the relationship is with their father i would assume that it would be extremely difficult for a son who kind of has that passive relationship with their father like my dad's a provider he goes to work and and i don't ever see him on the weekends he goes fishing with his buddies and that's it whereas uh, a, a teenage boy who went fishing with his dad all his life for example or you know who played sports with them and who was really there who who had a father that was really there um you know for for most of his life it would probably feel more comfortable having that open dialogue with them so for those fathers out there that have smaller children what advice would you give to them for those who are seeking um like taking that step and having more uh, closer relationships with their kids. Love your children. And I don't just mean in terms of a mindset. Give them hugs. Tell them I love you. Talk to them. Find out about their feelings. Not always telling them what you did back in the day or what you think the world is about. Hear their point of view. I mean, it's, look, I can't tell anybody how to live their life. But if family's important to you, make it a number one priority. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, if 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 I'm going to go play basketball on the weekends and my oldest son wants to come, let's go. You can sit on the sideline and watch. Um, I talk to my kids all the time. I tell them I love them all the time for no reason, meaning as in they didn't do anything specifically to warrant, you know, how we typically think of saying I love you. I just say it because I felt it in the moment. Right. So 
if you're not, I got a good friend of mine who was one of my assistant coaches when I was head coach coaching football. This is a grown man who has never given his dad a hug. They shake hands. Right. And that's way too common. Uh, every time I see my dad still to this day, the first thing we do is give each other a hug. When he leaves, the first thing we do is give each other a hug. Right. So if you want to make that connection, make it. And the other thing is, it's never too late. I don't care if you didn't do it for the first 35 years of your child's life. If you decide you want to make it a priority and reach out and give a hug, that kid may not respond immediately or that adult, but it's consistency. At some point, I'm going to turn and give you that hug back. And that's the first opening for you to, as long as you stay consistent with your behavior, right? Mm-hmm. But don't do it, get your feelings hurt, get butt hurt and be like, oh, well, he doesn't. I, I tried. No, you didn't. Because you had 30 years gap where you didn't try. So you can't expect two months of you trying to overcome that 30 year gap. Let's be real. Um, so um, one last question for you. Um, what, because uh, we know that you work, do we treat with fathers and sons? What do those, those who treat look like? And um, let's say if um, if someone's interested in bu- uh, building a relationship with their, their son, what would... Um, like what would they expect if they decided to, to come? Cool. So the retreats, the first thing is I take people out of the city. We go somewhere like Lake Arrowhead, Big Bear. We go to where there's no Wi-Fi reception, no cell phone reception, where you're out in nature, right? Um, so you have to be present. Uh, you can't be distracted. Um, second, I don't focus so much on any kind of mindset ideas. I'm talking tangible activities we can do so you can build that relationship and actually see changes. And then uh, the bottom line in terms of the overall groundwork of it is understanding your dad's story. Um, it wasn't, an, you know, as parents, we'll tell our kids, you know, back in my day, I, you know, walked uphill with no shoes in the snow or ate soup with a fork. You know what I mean? Like all this crazy stuff. But when you get to sit down with either one of your parents and hear what their life was like growing up and understand that full story, it allows you to get perspective on them as a human being as just opposed to being your mom or dad. Right. Like when I when I finally got to really hear my dad's story, the fact that he had to leave home by himself at the age of 12, no money in his pocket. Well, he was living on the streets. He was still into meetings. It makes sense that he got into a life of crime. What was he supposed to do? He, he grew up in Louisiana and had to flee at the age of 12 and went to Florida where he knew nobody. Right. So he, everything he learned, he learned on his own. So the faults he made in, in raising me, it wasn't he didn't have a model. He didn't have anyone to teach him. He was basing it off of what he learned to just survive. Right. But in understanding that story, it got me to take a step back and say, wow, can I blame for all of his faults? Or should I be supportive in the fact that this, this man is still here trying to love me after all he's been through? Um, and once you get that story, I have different things where I, I got activities for things for you to do uh, to create. So that way you keep utilizing them over time. And But it's it's really a time for fathers and sons to communicate, to talk and to be open in a safe space, man. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay, great. And now we are at the 30 minute mark of our episode. And usually around this time, we like to move on to the bottom line. Is everybody okay with that? Yes. 
Okay, great. Uh, and I will go ahead and just take the bottom line question, if that's okay with the group. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the question that I have for everybody is, if you can go back in time and tell your dad any bit of advice, what would that be? Mm. And I want to start. Question, man. <laughs> and I want to start with Jasmine. I would tell my dad that he should call me at least once a month <laughs> because my dad was in Colombia for my whole childhood, so it was really hard for me to connect with him, and his excuse was, was basically like, oh, it's really difficult for me to call you. It's easier for you to buy a phone card and call me um, because, you know, the money difference or whatnot, but Throughout these years, I always made an effort to call him once a month. And because I took on the initiative to build that relationship with him and call him once a month, he now that if I don't call him, you know, 35 or 34 years later, like he's still like, oh, you didn't call me two months. You didn't call me in two months. What's going on? And it's just that's that just is a reminder that. I've re- I've always been the one that has been nurturing the relationship, but I recognize that that's important because he, you know, he explained that he couldn't really call me. So I, but I did want him to call me. Um, and other than that, just when I did get to spend time with him in the summers, that was something that was important to me because I was able to connect with him just in those summer months, knowing that he wasn't he was absent or all of my other experiences that I had in my life. Um, but it is nice to still stay connected, even if it's once a month, if you're, se- if you're in another country and separated from your father. But it's important to also remember that you have a responsibility too if you want to cultivate that relationship, even if it's one-sided at the moment, but you still, that's that'll be the only way to keep that relationship going. So call me maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. Uh, and now I would like to ask the same question to Antonio. What's your answer? My answer is if I could go back in time and talk to my dad, I would just tell him you are enough. Your presence is enough. That's all I need. Uh, you don't need to be anything you're not. You don't need to pretend to be anything great. Just be you and be here. That's it. Um, and now hopefully that would include understanding that if you get locked up because you did some dumb stuff with respect to using, well, you're not here, right? Um, if you try to pretend you're something you're not, well, then you're, you're showing me that you're not enough. I don't need any of that. I just need that. You're, you're enough and your presence is enough. So just be here. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Casey? Yeah. Oh, man, this conversation is definitely deep for me. Um you know, because I was adopted when I was young, so um, I I think, like, the way I deal with violence was I shut down. And my dad wasn't a violent person, but he would get very aggravated. Act- he reacts very, you know, um, I won't say aggressively, but, like, he, he, you know, he gets very um, high, intense. And that's the one thing that always scared me, and that's something I could never tell him. Um um, and because of that, it created a lot of barriers for me to have a really good relationship with him as a kid. And I mean, we were, like, I love him now. I would never replace him. I would, 
you know, I would go back. If I had to repeat, I would just redo the same thing because I love my parents. Um, I I think that um, Anthony Antonio, when you were talking about connecting with your father and having that one-to-one conversation about being gay, I mean, that's was something that I've always wished I had with my father. And he was always supportive and he nurtured, he cared, but I never had that conversation where, and, you know, he's like, tell me about you. What does that mean to be gay? I think, um, you know, um, I think it would be, I think looking back, I think our relationship would be even stronger. Um, and uh, it took me to be an adult to really appreciate him as a human being to, you know, kind of foster a relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if your dad's still alive, Casey. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> if he is, um, you could start that conversation as well. Yeah. I think when I became an adult, we had to deal with difficult conversations. That's when I really started appreciating his perspective. And just, I, I saw him as, you know, I never saw him as a nurturer growing up, but as an adult, seeing how he nurtured me in his own way, you know. Uh, it was just, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is you the whole time, and I didn't know. <laughs> it's like, oh, but, um, but, but it's just, yeah. I, I think it would have that conversation sooner with my father if, if I were to go back. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks, Casey, for sharing that. And my answer, I didn't really have my father for that long because he died when he when when I was seven. But the one bit of advice that I would have given is to um to include me in things so he'd have certain talents and one of his talents was that he was a very good um painter so he would he would paint you know with paints and like uh, markers and stuff like that but he would always like push me away whenever i would try to use any of that so it was kind of like the forbidden toy that he had it was kind of like his pastime after work so I was not allowed to touch any of his markers, but I think that he could have used that talent to cultivate like a talent in me to potentially pursue art or maybe be, you know, good at something since he didn't really, he wasn't really that into sports or anything like that. Um, and that's it. And I think there's, there's kind of like this, um, like when, when a father says, no, you're not allowed to touch my things. It's kind of like builds a wall in a way and you don't know how to, how to react to that as a child. Mm. Yep. Very nice. So that'd be my piece of advice. Um, so <laughs> anyway, um, so now we uh, would like to turn to our listeners. What do you think? Are there any topics you'd like to hear on the show? Make sure to send us your thoughts at infoologyresearchgroup.org and make sure to check us out on Twitter at Twitter handle ology research and antonio is there any way that our listeners can get in touch with you or can learn more about you and your and what you offer yeah they can uh all my social media is at rebirth bx uh bx is the shorthand in psychology for behavior so at rebirth bx you can email me um a harrison at rebirthbx.com. my website is rebirthbx.com. um and i and i If you guys don't mind, I just wanted to say one last thing um, to make it very clear. Uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect dad. I don't have perfect children, and I don't want to be perfect or don't want perfect children. It defeats the purpose of growing. Um, So, yes, I have this advice, and yes, I follow it to the best, but I, I mess up. I mess up just like anyone else. But the point is, do you 
do you recognize that mess up and try to change and keep growing or do you just stay stuck and not being what you want to be? Mm-hmm. So don't think that, uh, you know, I've got this all figured out. Um, I'm working too, right? Just like everybody else. Um, and then the last thing is uh, Doc's Daily Dose for Dads, either on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and then on a YouTube channel. So you can check me out there too. Okay, fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us on the show today, Antonio. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, you guys. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Have a great week.